Hello, and welcome to the Letters from Our Fathers podcast, where we explore the actual history of America's founding fathers from their own written words and personal correspondence, but without modern partisan political ideologies. I am your host, Roman. Now let's learn some real history. All right, welcome back to the podcast. It is great to have you here. This is going to be episode number 50. Uh, Thank you, by the way, for making that happen, for uh, being a listener of the podcast and helping this podcast make it to episode number 50. That's a great thing to happen. That makes us uh, halfway to episode 100, I guess, huh? Obviously. So, um... Yeah, but I, honestly, it's, uh, it's, you know, it feels, doesn't feel like it's been 50 episodes, to be honest with you. It really doesn't, but, um, here we are. So thank you again for that. So on this episode, we're going to talk about something that dovetails with, uh, something I said in episodes previous. And it involves kind of the flipping things around from a different perspective, from King George's, George's perspective, actually, and people like him. That is to say, tyrant kings. See, there's my perspective on things, and then there's their perspective on things, and these are two different uh, ways of looking at the world. So we're going to get into an interesting discussion, I hope. And this is going to be a short podcast episode. It's not going to be a long form with the letters. I just couldn't do it this weekend. It's just, I've been working literally all weekend long on this uh, project and some other things. And I am flooded. It's a miracle I'm able to squirrel away a little bit of time to be able to record and edit and upload this podcast episode here. But uh, I think this will be an interesting topic for you. Something to think about. I mentioned on a few episodes previously that people who do not study history are dangerous individuals. And some folks may think that to be a controversial statement. I don't. I just think I just think it's fact. I, I see it as reality. And reality to me is never controversial. It's just reality. Because, again, you know, history and the world are not exactly what you want it to be. They are what they are. And I do firmly believe, and I will probably take this to my grave... Uh, in other words, nobody will ever be able to convince me otherwise, because I've thought about this for a long time. That's not a conclusion that I came to when I was 10 years old. Uh, that's a conclusion when I, that I came to you know, well into my 30s, and I, I had stewed on it for some time. And to my dying day, I will say that people who don't study history are dangerous, dangerous people. And somebody might say, well, Roman, what do, you, what do you mean? You mean all the people walking around in society who don't study history are dangerous? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. And I, I know some people have a hard time wrapping their mind around that. And I've explained it before why I feel that way. I feel that people who don't study history are dangerous because they, most of the time, frankly speaking, when it comes to big world-changing type things or big nation-changing type things, decisions that need to be made, actions that need to be taken— They don't know what they're doing, and they don't know what they're doing because they haven't studied the actions of people before them. They don't understand how the world came to be what it is today, and they don't understand what causes nations to rise and fall, and empires to rise and fall, and how people making certain mistakes always leads to the same horrible conclusions. They don't understand it. They don't understand the cycle of history, and they can't see the patterns in it. And so they could be staring at an event happening right in front of them, and not know its significance because they don't understand that the same kind of event happened a few hundred years ago and led to a very specific result, and that same kind of scenario has been happening with the same result for the last 5,000 years. They don't see it because they're blind, because they don't study history. And they make decisions, blind decisions, that affect not just themselves, but the people around them. And so they they effectively inflict their self-imposed stupidity on everybody else. 
And again, that, that may be a controversial thing to say, that it's a, a self-imposed stupidity, you know, but it, it's really just the truth. And the good, but the thing about it, the good news about a self-imposed stupidity is you can change it in about five seconds. As soon as you decide uh, to be a more educated individual about history, uh, you can change that immediately. So you can lift the veil of blindness, of uh, ignorance, very quickly. I wanted to also talk about it from the other perspective of King George III and people like him. You see, they see things the exact opposite of the way I see them. They would probably never say this out loud, at least not to the public. But tyrants like King George III and people like him, and there have been a great many people like him, and there there still are in the world today, they see people who don't study history as being something positive. And they see people that do study history as being dangerous. You see how that works? To a tyrant king like King George III, the people who do study history are dangerous people. Now, why is that? And what is it with these two opposing perspectives? You have, you have on the one hand, my perspective, that people who do not study history are dangerous, and then the tyrant would say people who do study history are dangerous. The reason why that is is pretty obvious, and I think most of you are going to immediately understand why those opposing views exist. The tyrant thinks that people who study history are dangerous because if you understand history, you understand the rise and fall of tyrants. You understand how dangerous these people are. We talked about Julius Caesar and how he was stabbed to death on the Senate floor, and rightfully so, in my opinion. The reason why he was stabbed to death is, in part, in part, was because those people who stabbed him to death understood history, and they knew him to be a tyrant. They had dealt with tyrants before. Not those people personally, perhaps, but other people like them. And they knew about it. And they knew what to do with a tyrant. You stab him to death on the Senate floor. Because that's the right thing to do. You can't let that tyrant take hold. Because if you do, you'll never get him out. And at the end of the day, they never did get him out. Even they tried their best to try to eliminate the tyrant, but as hard as they tried, they, they couldn't quite do it. And another tyrant quickly rose up thereafter. That would be uh, Augustus. And then another, and then another, and then another until the end of the Roman Empire. See, people who understand, people who study history understand this. And this is very dangerous to tyrants. Because tyrants love stupid people, people who walk around with a self-imposed stupidity, blindness about history. They love it. They love those people. I mean, if they, if they could walk up to every one of those individuals and give them a big old sloppy kiss, they probably would. That's how much they love them. Because they're, they're very valuable people. Fairly easy to co-opt, fairly easy to, uh, you know, to sway one way or the other. I mean, you, you, can, you can literally change, your opi change their opinions from one day to the next. I mean, you can have them hopping around from one foot to the next like they're, they're dancing the hokey pokey. I mean, you could say one thing one day and have these people believe it and say the exact opposite the next day and have these people believe that. That's how malleable people are who don't study history because they have no foundation. They have no firm grounding. They have no roots in the ground. And you can see immediately how this is very useful to the tyrant. Whereas... Those who do study history are dangerous to the tyrant because, again, they know who the tyrant is. You can't pull the wool over their eyes because they've seen it before. If not in their lifetime, they've studied it from lifetimes past, from other people. So when it comes to the study of history, these are your two opposing points of view. And it's this constant battle between the two. People like myself who try to encourage the study of history, who try to convey to anybody who will listen the very important place that a study of history has in life as far as making intelligent decisions. And then you have the tyrant who works very, very hard to keep the people blind and stupid. Ignorant, I should say. Not so much stupid, but just ignorant. 
Because if you, because the tyrant knows if you can get enough people very well educated in history, like a John Adams or an Abigail Adams or a William Tudor. I mean, we've read we've read the letters from these people talking about their breadth of knowledge of history. They keep talking about Rome. They keep talking about Greece. They keep talking about Macedonia. They keep talking about all these places that came before and the dangers around the tyrannies that lived in those places. To a, to a King George III, an Abigail Adams is a very dangerous woman because she sees right through King George III and knows exactly what that guy is all about. It's no mystery to her. And he can't convince her that the things that he's doing vis-a-vis -vis the intolerable acts or any number of other terrible things that this guy has uh, perpetrated can't convince Abigail Adams that that's all well and good because she's read about this kind of thing before. Now, for those women in the colonies, or, or those women in the world today, or those men in the world today, for that matter, who don't know history like Abigail Adams does, they weren't, they're, they're not educated, how easy it is, how easy is it really to, to convince them of something that is completely untrue? Pretty easy, most days. It really kind of depends upon the subject, but it can be very easy, a heck of a lot easier than it is to convince an Abigail Adams. That's why, you know, you have the Sam Adams of the world, the Abigail Adams of the world. You know, these people could not be convinced that King George III was really a righteous man doing the right thing. They couldn't be convinced. At no point do these people knuckle under and say that, oh yeah, well, King George III, he has a legitimate gripe. No, they just kept on with it for years, even before... The war started. As we, we read a letter from John Adams previously that the revolution began before the war started, before the shooting started. This had been going on for a long time because the, the founding fathers and the women around them would not let go. And they wouldn't let go because they knew what they were dealing with. They knew where this was going. If they raised the white flag in the colonies, they would never get any freedom or liberty back. At least not for a dozen generations or more. Because they've seen that before. And we've seen this uh, this problem with history happen before as well. This problem where people just don't pay attention to what's going on. They don't understand the times that they live in. Because as I've said before, to understand today and tomorrow, you have to understand yesterday. If you don't understand yesterday, you cannot, can not understand today. You may think you can, but you can't. Now, a broken clock is right twice a day, and some people hit the nail on the head... But that's just because the broken clock is right twice a day. It's not because they're actually knowledgeable about what's going on. So that's the importance of the history books. It's in the importance of the letters the Founding Fathers gave us. Those letters are history. And they're, 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 they're the history of the people who fought this kind of battle before against the tyrant. Who would have, who in his, in his greatest dreams, would have hoped that he was dealing with a population of people in the colonies who were not so educated as a Mr. or Mrs. Adams, or a George Washington, or a Benjamin Franklin. Unfortunately, he was dealing with a very different type of person. The, the people in the colonies were led by students of history and very, very good students of history at that. These were not people who bumbled into the American Revolution and bumbled their way through it and bumbled their way to victory and bumbled their way into the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution of the United States. That's not how that happened. You can't bumble your way into something like that, and you can't bumble your way through it and keep it either. As Benjamin Franklin said when he was asked, what kind of a government do we have? He said, a republic, if you can keep it. Now, how do you keep it? You keep it by studying history, in part, amongst other things. And if you don't study history, you will not keep the republic that Benjamin Franklin was talking about. It's that simple. It will pass in time, and it'll be lost 
has so many others that came before it. And some people regard that as a, a fait accompli, as a, a natural thing. It's always going to happen, so why not just let it happen? There's nothing that you can do about it, which is a big pile of crap. You know, if every generation had that attitude, there never would have been a Declaration of Independence. I was actually listening to somebody talk about this recently, how life is a lot easier when you just turn off the news, you just focus on your personal little world. Basically, if it doesn't darken the doorframe of your house, don't pay any attention to it. Now, that's a sad commentary. That's a sad individual, actually. A sad and pathetic individual. And I feel sorry for him. I really do. Because he has no idea what his place in the world really is. He thinks it extends only to his immediate family, his immediate friends, his job, his career, etc. But his place in this world is a heck of a lot bigger than that. And it extends much further than that. Or at least it should. And the Founding Fathers knew that. That's why they did what they did. We've listened to the Founding Fathers talk about their posterity several times. And again, we haven't even read very many letters yet. We are just barely, barely scratching the surface of this thing. And we've still heard it several times about the posterity, the future, the children, the grandchildren, etc. But not only that, we've also heard, at least alluded to, the impact that the decisions the Founding Fathers would make on the world, on the British Empire. And they start talking about republics of the past and the impact that they had on the world, be it the Roman Republic or, or others. These things always extend beyond the borders. And the Founding Fathers knew that the United States of America, its influence, its image, would extend beyond the borders of the United States. I'll give you a perfect example of this. And the Founding Fathers, in my opinion, knew this was going to happen. Why do so many leaders around the world call themselves president? Because during at the Founding Fathers' time, it was a lot of things. It was king, it was czar, it was kaiser, or whatever, whatever, whatever evolution of that word may have may have uh, turned into. They both they both call they both come from the the same same word. What we what we pronounce as Caesar. That's where uh, kaiser actually comes from, and also czar. They all called themselves roughly the same thing, or emperor, something of that nature. Be it the uh, the emperor of Japan or the emperor of China. But a lot of them call themselves president today. A lot of them. Like, there's no, there's no king of France anymore. There's a president, but there's no king of France. There's no czar of Russia anymore. It's actually a president, is it not? Why? Why did they change their name? I think I mentioned it before with President, uh, one of the most infamous ones, President Saddam Hussein. Why in the heck did he call himself president? Because he was trying to imitate. These people are trying to imitate the righteous mission of the United States of America. However flawed it was in the beginning, I know somebody out there is going to be like, we're Roman. For Pete's sake, how could you call the mission of the United States righteous when, they, when it was so flawed in the beginning and freedom didn't really extend to everybody in its borders? I know. Nothing's perfect in the beginning. You know, for all those people out there looking for perfection in history, you're never going to find it. You're a delusional lunatic if you think you're going to find it. The point is is that it got things going down a particular road, a path. It set the stage. It laid the foundation. And it changed the world. And that's why you have presidents all over the world today. How, and none of these people, well, not, not none of them, but very few of them are actually what we would think of when we say, like, president of the United States. Most of them are tyrants in one form or another. They just call themselves president. They're trying to put on the image of a president because they know that that, symbol created by the United States Constitution 
has a certain appeal to it to people. It has a certain power behind it as far as demonstrating that this is not an all-powerful Caesar or czar or king or emperor. Instead, he's more a public servant than anything else. That appeals to the people. So, so tyrants around the world like to try to put on that image, and they don't like to call themselves king anymore. Some of them do. There's a few still out there. Don't get me wrong. I know. But uh, in a lot of places of the world, people don't like that. They don't like that word king or emperor, so they change it to president or some such thing. But that's the impact of the United States. The Founding Fathers knew that it would change things around the world. I don't know that they, they fully envisioned exactly how much it would impact the world, but they certainly knew that it would, because these are, these are powerful concepts, because the Founding Fathers, again, studied history, and they knew. They knew what was going to happen to a certain extent, and that's the only reason why they got through it. Well, that and a, a hard-fighting spirit and the ability to, uh, like I said, a great many of them stand up and get shot at. That's really what makes the United States different than so many other places, is the, uh, the, the willingness of so many of them to just stand up and get shot at. There's a lot of people around the world who just won't, won't do it. I mean, it doesn't matter whether we're talking about their freedom, their liberty, or anything of the sort. They will not stand up and get shot at. They won't do it. But people in the United States did, and still do. And thank goodness for those folks, because if it wasn't for them, if, if they didn't exist, there would be no United States of America. But also the same can be said for those who study the history, the Founding Fathers. Those were, those, were, those were students of history, and without them, this thing wouldn't have happened either. And to, to punctuate this somewhat, you know, this, this concept of the tyrant not wanting people to study history, look no further than China. Everybody knows this who knows about China. If you're in China, assuming you're not using some kind of uh, alternate way to access the internet, shall I say, if you're accessing the China the standard way in China... Good luck finding anything on Tiananmen Square. I mean, when you type Tiananmen Square into a search engine, what comes up is basically the tourist information, the tourist trap. Nothing about what happened in, in 1989 is going to show up there. Now, and honestly, in the, in, the United, in the United States, it is different. You type Tiananmen Square in a search engine, you're going to get the tourist information in there, too. But you don't have to scroll down very far before you find information about the Tiananmen Square massacre. When it, it, the United, then the Chinese military decided it was going to be a smart idea to shoot people with AK-47s. Not through the entire protest. It was, it was really, you know, there was that big culmination that happened in the night when they were told to clear the square, and they did. The next day, uh, as I understand it, is when the shooting really happened. And I believe that was the same day when the, uh, the gentleman stood in front of the tank in seeming protest. I mean, nobody really knows why he did it because he was kind of whisked away, and I don't think anybody ever saw him again, which tells you everything you need to know about China. But um, you think the Chinese government wants people knowing about all that stuff, about what was done during that whole thing? No, of course they don't. Uh, if it's talked about much in China, it's probably spoken in a whisper and quietly, if at all. That is a perfect example of the tyrant not wanting people to study history, because people who study history are dangerous. People who know about Tiananmen Square and know what really happened are dangerous to the Chinese government because it reveals the Chinese government for what it is. So the Chinese government deliberately takes steps to keep people ignorant, like uh, little children who are not taught to read or write. You know, throughout history, there has been there's always been, you know, periods of time where either governments or other oppressive groups of people don't want their people to read and write because people who can read and write are also dangerous. But who are they dangerous to? They're dangerous to tyrants. 
Just like people who study history are dangerous to tyrants. They're not dangerous to the people around them. They're not dangerous to their community. They're not dangerous to themselves. They're dangerous to tyrants. And that's the difference. Whereas people who don't study history are dangerous to a lot more people than that. And that's my contention. They're not dangerous to the tyrant. They're dangerous to just about everybody else. Now, some of you folks, and some folks who don't even listen to this podcast may think that that's a, that's a harsh thing to say, that uh, these people are dangerous. That is to say, again, people who don't study history. You think, may think that that's a harsh thing to say. I don't think it's harsh. I just think it's real. And so what do you do about that? Well, I mean, you, you do the best you can to make sure that you're not one of those folks, because you don't want to be that way. I certainly don't want to be that way. I mean, I shudder to think what my life would be like if I didn't study history. I, I may be a happier person, I mean, because ignorance is bliss. You know, these old catchphrases that, that, that kind of linger around society for the better part of a thousand years or more, like things like ignorance is bliss and things of that nature, there's a reason why those phrases really catch on and stay around. Because they're true. People who are ignorant are generally are happier people than people who are not. Like like that joke that I told you uh, in the form of a rhetorical question, the, the old joke about the, uh, the pessimist and the optimist. You know, the pessimist and the optimist uh, are an interesting uh, contrast of characters. Uh, somebody might ask the question, you know, what's the difference between the pessimist and the optimist? And the answer is, the pessimist has more information. Because the op- it's, it's very easy to be optimistic if you simply don't know. And that, that gentleman that I told you about earlier that I was listening to talk about how it's e- life is easier when you don't watch the news or when you don't pay attention to what's going on and you don't read history, so on and so forth. He didn't mention history, but that's basically what he was talking about. He was right. You know, life may be easier for a time. I mean, and it depends on what time you live in and it depends on where you're at. But it's not better for society, and it's not easier for society in the long run. See, somebody who says that is very short-sighted and usually a very selfish individual at that. So, I, you know, I certainly endeavor, despite the fact that, you know, I may be a somewhat, a, somewhat cynical like a John Adams. I've talked about that before, too. I've heard historians describe John Adams as being kind of a, a cynical, kind of a glass half empty kind of guy, perhaps. It's hard to describe, you know, exactly how, how they articulate. It's because it's kind of all over the map, but, but always in that general neighborhood. And I think myself to be almost exactly the same kind of person as Mr. Adams. It's probably why I so, so much identify with John Adams more so than any other founding father. Because of that, the personality, mine and his, are very very similar. I simply wish I had his intelligence. Uh, if I had his intelligence, then uh, I would I would be uh, in a very good place because that, that man was brilliant. And I don't think I can uh, quite touch that man's intelligence. I may have the same personality in, in some respects, but I certainly uh, I don't think I can approach his intelligence. That's a different world altogether. But he he's 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 been articulated that way before by historians that I've listened to, and probably the reason why is because he studied history and he he knew what was going on and he took it seriously and he was passionate about it in some respect. People who are passionate about these things tend to come off as somewhat abrasive at times, cynical, pessimistic, maybe. But that's the nature. That's the nature of the beast, you know. And I, I embrace that, you know. I've I've long given up on being the uh, the ignorance is bliss kind of guy. I don't I don't want to be that kind of person. So, and I, you know, I try to, I know people like that. I know, I know people who are like the ignorant, who are basically, you know, operate in the world of ignorance is bliss. And what I try to do is I, you know, I try to give them some breadcrumbs to find their way to the right place and dem- and try to teach them that history is not so intimidating. I think some people are intimidated by history in some respect. That might be why they don't study it. It's so vast and it's so complicated at times the the various personalities the people who lived 
for thousands of years, the things they did and didn't do, and the mistakes they made, and the empires that rose and fall, fell, and it's 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 all very daunting to think about. But if you can study a little bit here and a little bit there, and just build up over time your competency of history, you can. You don't have to know everything about history. You don't have to know everything about the founding fathers. Certainly, I don't know everything about the founding fathers. I've read a lot. I've certainly read more than most, but I haven't read everything, and I never will. It's never going to happen. But that's not the point. You don't have to be an expert in history. You just have to try uh, to open your mind uh, to studying history. And that's why I am so grateful to you folks who listen to this podcast, because clearly you're very much of a similar mind as I am, at least in terms of you may not agree with me that people who don't study history are dangerous, which is fine, because that's an opinion. I believe it's factual, but technically it's an opinion. But certainly you are inquisitive about history, and that's really all it takes. You don't have to spend years in the library looking at the books and all the rest of it, and you don't have to spend years reading the letters, and you don't have to you don't have to do all that. You just have to be you just have to have an open mind and be inquisitive about history and gather the information that you need to gather to make a decision. And hopefully this podcast helps with that. You know, like I said, I that's part of the reason why I do this podcast is I try to make it easier to get to this particular kind of history and also provide some perspective around it, my personal perspective. I think it's I think it's valuable to get access to the the letters in an easier way. Like I said, you you know, if you don't have the time to sit down and read the letters, you can listen to this podcast in the car when you're driving to and from work, when you're taking a road trip. Uh, you can listen to it while you're at the office or while you're at work or whatever the case may be, and be getting the history that the founding fathers wanted you to know. They wanted all of us to know. Whether you live in the United States or outside the United States, the founding fathers would like you to know this information. I know that because I've 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 heard I've seen in the letters them talking about that. And so thank you for joining me on this episode of the podcast. And as we discuss that conflict that exists, those two perspectives between the tyrant and the founding fathers, the, the, the tyrant not wanting people to study history and the founding fathers who were very much students of history. And then, of course, my perspective on how I think the opposite of the tyrant. The tyrant thinks that people who study history are dangerous. I think the opposite. People who don't study history are dangerous. And I give the example of China and Tiananmen Square. They don't want people to know about that stuff. And there's reasons for it. And none, none of those reasons are good. People should know about it. People should know about Tiananmen Square. They should know about what happened. They should know about what those people went through. Because that was a sacrifice. They, they were trying to get some small amount of freedom and liberty. They were trying. Because they, they knew that that's how they were going to thrive. That's how they were going to better enjoy life. They were going to pursue happiness. And I think the people in Tiananmen Square in the 1980s, they wanted to pursue happiness, and they wanted to do it a little bit more free than what they otherwise could. And I really, I always appreciate people who want to try to get more freedom to pursue happiness, because that's what the Founding Fathers wanted. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And again, you know, I, I'm, I'm forever grateful to the Declaration of Independence that they left behind that articulates that. And, you know, that we live in the United States, those of us who do, who those of us who are fortunate enough to live in the United States, we live under a, a government that uh, does provide, for for the most part, the ability to pursue happiness with life and liberty. And that's a good thing. Let's, end, like, let's live up to Benjamin Franklin's uh, sentiment and let's endeavor to keep it, because we can. We can do that. It's not a fait accompli that this thing will come to an end in 50 years, 100 years, 200 years. It doesn't have to be that way. 
It will be that way if people decide to just throw up their hands and give up and wait, raise the white flag over every city, town, and state in the United States. But uh, you're going to be doing yourself a disservice by doing that, your posterity, and frankly, everybody around the world a disservice by doing that. So let us keep going. Let us march on. And while we're doing that, let's continue with this podcast so we can hear some more from the Founding Fathers and what they believed and what they what they fought for, that pursuit of happiness that we that we talk about. Let's uh let's continue on with that. So we're probably gonna have another best of episode for the midweek episode, the Thursday episode. And then I will try to get another episode out. It'll probably be another short episode like this one for next uh next Monday. Uh because uh this the, the amount of work that I have to do on the weekends now for this other thing that I'm working on is just, it's its incredible. And I, I certainly appreciate you folks bearing with me while I do that. And it, things should get better in the month of May. Uh, for, for April, it's going to be its going to be really um, difficult for me to keep up with uh, doing long-form episodes of the podcast. But in May, that's going to thats gonna ease up quite a bit, I think. Hopefully, barring some catastrophe, it should ease up, and then we should get back to a more regular schedule of things like they were, you know, prior to the latter part of March and into April. So thank you for joining me on this episode. I, th- I hope you uh, found this discussion to be insightful, perhaps, uh, or just a, a different way to think about things. And I certainly hope you will join me on the next episode of the podcast as we talk more about the Founding Fathers and their, their, their battle against the tyrant King George III and the Parliament of Great Britain, and that clash of personalities between those parties, and how that all came together. With that said, I'll see you on the next episode, and this is Roman signing out. Thank you.